Hi, this is Michael Dorn, Lieutenant Commander Worf from Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Helling frequencies open, you've tapped in to Trek FM's Hyper Channel. I'm Chris, publisher of Trek FM, and this is where we talk about what's happening in the world of Star Trek news. In this episode, for January 1st, 2016, we're going to look ahead to the next film villain by looking back at those who have come before. This year, the 50th anniversary year of Star Trek, will bring us a new villain for the first time really since 2009 and Nero. I guess you could say that John Harrison was a new villain, but since they insisted that he was kind, I'm going to write him off. Cinema Blend has published a list by Adam Holmes that ranks every major Star Trek movie villain. So I thought it would be interesting to look at their list, which I'm sure will spur some discussion with you guys in our listeners group on Facebook, the Babel Conference. And I'll share some quotes from Adam and some of my own thoughts here for each one. Okay, so the road to Idris Elba's crawl was paved by these guys or machines. And at number 11 on Cinema Blend's list is V'ger. They describe V'ger as not so much an antagonist as simply a repurposed 20th century satellite trying to fulfill its original mission. And yeah, I guess that's a pretty good description. They also say, while there were a few moments where V'ger was terrifying, it was largely a villain of more flash than substance. Unstoppable forces usually don't make for compelling bad guys. And that was especially the case in Star Trek The Motion Picture. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. Although, I think TNG showed us that in the best of both worlds, an unstoppable villain can be compelling. I found the Borg far more intriguing as a villain on TNG than I did later on when they began giving us ways to negotiate with them. Now, as we jump down the list here, you know, at some point we're going to come across the Borg Queen. And although I like the Borg Queen as a villain, she is part of what played into the what I'm saying here that I didn't like about the Borg later on. But we'll talk about that when we get to it. Yeah, I mean, V'ger being last here on the list makes pretty good sense to me. I would certainly have it here at the bottom. I'm not sure, though, if I would have it at 11 or 10 where Cinema Blend has Cybok. About Cybok, they say, while there was nothing inherently wrong with Lawrence Luckinbill's performance, the problem was that he never came off as threatening or intimidating. It's just a shame the material Cybok was saddled with didn't make him look at all interesting, as his brand of villainy wasn't outright nasty, but more simply defiant against the efforts of our heroes. Well, certainly, Cybok wasn't nasty. He wasn't evil. He really believed in what he was fighting for, if fighting's even the right word here. Uh, Now, he he was, you know, leading people astray, of course, which, again, is not uh, exactly what the villains normally do in Star Trek. But Cybok, yeah, he was not really a compelling villain. And, I mean... Luckinbill's performance was okay, but it was certainly not stellar. And I, yeah, I don't know if I would put Cybok at 11 or 10. I would almost put him at 11 and put Vidra at 10, possibly just because of 
feelings of nostalgia that I have for the motion picture. But either way, yeah, Cybok was not great. I do think Star Trek V and Cybok had a lot of potential, though. It just wasn't recognized in the film. All right, let's go on to number nine, where Cinema Blend has Ruafo from Insurrection. And they say, It's clear the movie was trying to pass him off as both evil and tragic, but he was so underdeveloped that he never truly felt either. I agree that F. Murray Abraham's performance was underwhelming, that's for sure. The idea that he seeks revenge against his own people, it could be a compelling story. It could make for a compelling story. But I would have liked to have seen more interaction between him and the Baku in order to help us sympathize with him and to understand why the whole thing is happening in the first place. Now, I quite like Insurrection as a story. I've said that many times here on the network, sometimes to the chagrin of other hosts and listeners. But it's very true to TNG, and perhaps more so than any of the other TNG films. But it's true that Ruafo falls short of being a compelling villain. In fact, for me, Doherty almost comes off better, although I don't think he's particularly well-written or acted either. Uh, It's, you know, both of them, uh, Doherty and Ruafo, both for me are part of this feeling that I've always had, even before I saw the movie, that the creative team was just going through the motions with Insurrection. From the moment I saw the poster, which is a rehash of the first contact poster, I felt like, okay, they're just putting out a Star Trek movie. But after watching it many, many times over the years, I will say that I'm actually kind of fond of it. I do like it. But the fact that Doherty comes off a bit better is telling. You know, at least you want to see him fall for betraying the principles of the Federation. That might also indicate one of the problems with Ruafo as the villain. The problem is there is no real and immediate threat to the Federation in the film. We're dealing with a conflict between two parties we had never heard of before. And there is a threat to the Federation, to the principles of the Federation, but it's something that would erode the Federation over time internally, which which makes for a fascinating story. Actually, if you were dealing with the TV series and you were stretching it over the course of seven seasons, perhaps, but not so much for a movie. So yeah, Rafo number nine. Yeah, I like it pretty well. Coming in at number eight is Shinzan. My first reaction to this was that he should be higher on the list. But of Shinzan, Cinema Blend says, Instead of resembling a brutal despot, Shinzan was more like a spoiled child who was doing whatever he could to get noticed. And frankly, his grand plan didn't make that much sense. And actually, that's a good point, particularly about him acting like a spoiled child. While I don't generally read the character that way, I can certainly see that in him. So what they say is a very good point. They also say the movie should have spent more time trying to contrast him as what might have happened if Picard went down a dark path in his younger years. Well, I don't know. I'm not sure. I I think that would be interesting from a character perspective, but I'm not sure it would have made for a good film. At least the film would need to be rewritten overall in order to make that work, and it would be a far different story for sure. 
which might make a lot of fans happy. So Sheen's on at number eight. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine with that. At number seven, and this is going to shock a lot of you, is Khan. No, I'm just kidding. It's not going to shock you very much. It's Khan from Into Darkness. Okay, I dove into this paragraph on Cinema Blend looking to see if they would say what I have always felt that Cumberbatch's villain and the film in general would have worked better if he had simply been John Harrison, like actually a guy named John Harrison instead of Kine. But they didn't. Instead, they said, Overall, this Kine didn't really bring anything new to the table, simply giving us the standard villainy that we expected and nothing more. I don't know that I agree with that, actually, I think Harrison did bring something a bit different to the table within the context of Star Trek films. Instead of having an outside villain, a Klingon, a Romulan, the Borg, a Klingon, you know, trying to destroy Kirk, Picard, Earth, and the Federation, we got someone who was unhappy with what was happening inside the bureaucracy and stirred the pot a bit. In terms of a general film villain, yeah, this isn't unique, but... Like Deep Space Nine, Into Darkness did take on the idea that everything is peachy in the Federation. You know, we know it's not, especially, well, it's just not. I mean, getting to that vision of the future that Gene Roddenberry created, it takes a lot of work. And once you get there, you have to work to maintain it. The idea that everything's rosy all the time has never flown with me, certainly not as an adult. Maybe it did a bit early on you know, as a kid watching Star Trek and even into my early university years when I was still more optimistic about the world. But I think, I'm not a fan of Into Darkness, but I do think that's one thing about the film that gave it some needed realism, which Deep Space Nine did as well. Of course, Into Darkness lifted Section 31 out of Deep Space Nine, put it in the film. I thought that was a good move. But as Khan, it doesn't work. Cumberbatch's performance was derailed by J.J. trying to get too cute, which seems to be a theme with J.J. sometimes. But anyway, I'm not surprised at all to see Khan from Into Darkness at number seven here on the list. At number six, we have Nero. Now, here's a villain that I saw is more of the standard villainy that we expect, more so than Harrison slash Khan. Cinema Blend hits on it pretty well, saying, maybe if the movie had kept those scenes of his time on the Klingon prison planet, which I think most of you, at least who have the DVD, have probably seen these cutscenes before, we might have been able to feel more for him. But overall, it just felt like Nero was running through the motions to alter history for the franchise. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I just never felt anything for Nero. And as they mention here, running through the motions to alter history for the franchise, I think that's really important because he did feel like that. He felt like just, he was just there to make the timeline split so that they could go do whatever they wanted moving forward without completely rebooting Star Trek. And as I said, I just never felt anything for this villain. If you dig far enough into the backstory and the supplemental material and you look into the ideas that were cut from the movie that related to Nero, then he makes a bit more sense. 
but it doesn't come through on the screen. Middle of the list is a pretty good place for him, I think. Though, personally, I think I prefer Cybok over Nero. (laughs) Tell me what you think about that. I'm sure a lot of people will disagree on that, even if they don't like the Abrams verse. All right, number five. This brings us to Soren. We all know Soren as the guy who killed Kirk, but for me, he is memorable for what he was struggling against, time. I've even written an entire article about this topic for StarTrek.com. Soren felt time stalking him, and he was trying to find a way to escape. And that's actually the topic of my article, that time, the way we perceive time, you know, how it affects our lives. Of course, his methods were unacceptable on a galactic scale, for sure. I mean, you don't go around destroying inhabited planets just to get something for yourself. But of this, Cinema Blend says, This desperation made for a refreshing change of pace from the villains who were seizing power or seeking revenge. I agree. Malcolm McDowell gave a great performance, and for me, the message behind Generations and Soren's actions have stuck with me for two decades. I'm not going to say that Soren is the best villain in a Star Trek film, but he's a really good one, and he's actually one of my favorites. That's right, I like Insurrection, and I also like Generations. All right, let's move along. Number four is Krug, or Kruge, from Star Trek Three. Describing Krug, Cinema Blend says, In the midst of killing Kirk's son and trying to destroy the Genesis planet, Krug showed himself to be fearless and unrelenting in his mission. While he isn't the smartest antagonist on the list, he gets bonus points for seeing his cause through to the end and never wavering. And I just, I just had a funny thought here. He isn't the smartest antagonist on the list. I think that would probably go to V'ger, right? Because V'ger spent all this time traveling around the galaxy collecting information. V'ger's pretty smart. Just doesn't know what to do with the information. Okay, anyway. Uh, for me, when it comes to Krug, it probably isn't even that complicated. I just think Lloyd played a good Klingon that provided a challenge to Kirk, who forced Kirk to take steps that were beyond anything he had been forced to do before, destroying his true love, the Enterprise, which had to be extremely difficult for Kirk. And it cemented, especially for me, Kirk as the captain who will always find a way out and save his family. Granted, he couldn't save his son, but he saved the rest of his crew And he recovered Spock, and he did it all at great risk to himself. To make that risk real, to make the search for Spock work, someone had to provide a real challenge with real consequences, and Krug did that. And so that's why Krug, he's not my favorite Klingon by far, but I think He did exactly what he needed to do in that story to make that story work. It's one of the reasons why Star Trek III is one of my favorite Star Trek movies. And Christopher Lloyd was brilliant. And when you think about the fact that at the time that came out, a lot of us knew him from him being on Taxi, which was a comedy. Seeing him play Krug was quite a change of pace. Okay, down to our final three here. Coming in at number three 
is someone I mentioned earlier, and that's the Borg Queen. I'm kind of mixed on this one, to be honest. I love the character, and Alice Krieger's performance was fantastic. And as I record this, I've got a giant poster of the Borg Queen, beautiful design over here sitting right next to me. But I don't love what the character represented for the Borg and what it allowed Voyager to do to this unstoppable villain. Cinema Blend says, as far as her evil plot, not only did she try to assimilate all of Earth in the past, but she also attempted to manipulate Data into joining her. With Alice Krieger giving a wonderfully enticing performance, she was as charming as she was an embodiment of pure evil. So, if we're ranking which villains come off best on screen, on the big screen, Star Trek movie villains, then she totally deserves to be up here in the top three, I think. The Borg Queen is one of the most memorable villains for me, and First Contact is possibly the most entertaining Star Trek film to watch in the theater. And also, her connection to Picard, drawing from the actual television series, The Next Generation, makes it all work in a way that Nero, for example, doesn't. Now, of course, I know the Borg Queen wasn't on The Next Generation, but the way that they the way they played that experience that Picard had through his eyes in First Contact, and he remembered that the Queen was always there, that works well enough for me. She didn't actually have to be there. That's the connection that makes it all work. And, and that's actually why, you know, Shinzon doesn't work as well, for example, because there was no connection there. It was made up for the film. So I'm, I'm actually curious. This could be a generational thing, in fact. I'm curious if for many of you, especially younger Star Trek fans, is the Borg Queen your favorite villain? Let me know that. Okay, so we have two to go here. So who is number two? Are you keeping track of who hasn't been listed? I think you know who number one is. So if you're keeping track of who we haven't listed yet, the villain at number two would have to be the whale probe from Star Trek IV. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, they didn't include the whale probe I mean, do you think the Well Probe was a villain or not? You know, Star Trek IV didn't really have a villain. I mean, I guess the villain was Welling, right? Which happened in the past for our characters. But no, no, number two is not the Well Probe. Number two is Chang from The Undiscovered Country, and I couldn't agree more. Chang was such a good villain, and The Undiscovered Country was such a good movie, of Chang, Cinema Blend says, Had Chang been successful in his grand scheme, war would have continued for centuries. Even upon meeting him, his ominous quoting of Shakespeare was enough to show this guy had sinister intentions. The lengths he went to manipulate the pieces on this proverbial chessboard fit his character's larger-than-life presence. And now, a thought just came to me. One of the hosts on our network, who's probably listening to this, Philip Gilfus of Earl Grey, is an actor. He does stage, and he quotes Shakespeare from time to time. So I'm just wondering if 
he has sinister intentions. Hmm. I'm gonna have to gonna have to watch watch out for him. But no, talking about Chang, let's get back to Chang here. Christopher Plummer delivered one of the best performances in Star Trek, in my opinion. And I'm not just talking about villains here. I mean, if you think of all the actors in Star Trek and all of the performances, and there have been so many incredible ones, Christopher Plummer as Chang was just fantastic. And at the time that The Undiscovered Country appeared in theaters, we already had the new style Klingons of TNG. That was already rolling along. And Plummer, he channeled that a bit but only as a nuance to a performance that otherwise gave us the calmer, calculated threat of the TOS Klingons like Kor, Koloth, and Kang. And that is exactly what was needed in a story about the end of the Cold War. I I love the contrast of having Gorkhan, who wanted peace. You had Azat Burr, who was going to, you know, try to follow the course her father set, but in her own way. And then you had Chang, who was going to have none of it and was going to make sure that uh, the, the old hatred resurfaced and that conflict continued. And not to get too political here, but just as I talk about Chang here and knowing that uh, this story was a mirror of the Cold War between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, Putin reminds me a little bit of Chang these days, I'd have to say. All right, but very, very deserving of being number two on the list. So that brings us to number one, which is, of course, Khan, the real Khan, Ricardo Montalban. I don't think I need to say anything about this one. Ricardo Montalban set the standard by which all Star Trek villains are measured. That's why we have lists like this in the first place. It's all just an exercise to see who measures up to Ricardo Montalban's con. I will, however, share a bit of what Cinema Blend said. They said, The 20th century madman may have met his demise in the end, but boy, he sure did give Kirk and his crew hell in the process. Everything from his cunning nature to his over-the-top delivery of lines makes Khan not just the best Star Trek movie villain, but one of the better cinematic villains overall. What more is there to say? I think they nailed it. And and yes, I, I agree, and I know many people agree, even people who aren't diehard Star Trek fans. Khan transcends Star Trek, and he's right up there on the list of great cinematic villains in general. So, there's the list. I bet you've already said a lot out loud as I went through this list, so let me know your thoughts. I can't wait to hear them. The best place to do that is in the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field, and it will come right up. You'll need to click Join. It is a closed group, and we'll let you on in. And also, if you're on our website, if you click Discussion, those links will take you over there as well. If you're not on Facebook, I know not everyone is, feel free to hit us up on Twitter, our username for the network is Trek FM. My personal username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. That's my username pretty much everywhere. That's also the network's username pretty much everywhere. 
And you can also send us a message through our contact form at trek.fm slash contact or a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trekfm. And don't forget that today we begin our 50th anniversary rewatch on From There to Here, our new show that you'll find in the master feed as well as a standalone show in all the usual places. It may take a week for it to show up in some places like Stitcher and TuneIn because we don't have direct access to those the way we do iTunes, but uh, be patient and it will show up there as well. So go find it and join us for the great adventure. Be sure to check out all of our other shows as well. We cover every aspect of Star Trek that you can imagine and you can sample them all through the Trek of Film Master Feed, which you can find in all those same places where you're going to find from there to here. And that includes iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, third-party apps, Windows Phone, BlackBerry, and of course on our website where you can stream, download MP3 files, and grab the RSS links. If you want to help us keep all of this content coming, please consider supporting us through Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details including perks and our great exclusive website, Patron Zone. We really cannot do this without your help. And we really appreciate all the support that we're getting from so many listeners already. And we hope you'll join them as well. Thank you so much, everyone out there who listens to the network. Lastly, I'd like to wish everyone a happy new year. I can't believe it's 2016, but here we are on January 1st. So have a great one. And here's to another exciting year on Trek FM. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and I'll be back on Monday with another story for you. So, until then, go watch some Trek. Trek.